Welcome to the Ready to Thrive podcast. My name is Jacqueline, and I don't know if you've ever felt like you are just surviving your life. I know I have, and that's why I created this space. I want to help you move from surviving to thriving. My goal is to help you get unstuck and actually enjoy your life. Each week, I'll be sharing practical tips and always point you to Jesus. So what are you waiting for? Let's get ready to thrive. Welcome to Ready to Thrive. I'm sitting here with Nikki Koziars. And Nikki is actually wearing a hat. You can't tell. But uh, she wears a lot of hats. She is uh, a wife, a mom of three girls, a speaker, an author, a first-generation farmer. Um, Her latest book is called Flooded, The Five Best Decisions to Make When Life is Hard and Doubt is rising. And so I'm excited to dive into a conversation with Nikki about all the things. Um, motherhood, she is actually mommed, I think, a dozen or more farm animals. Um, so I want to find out about how that whole thing happened and just get to know her a little bit more. So Nikki, welcome to Ready to Thrive. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. For those of you wondering, I have my chicken hat on today um, because it is podcast day, but I also have to clean out my chicken coop. So mm. Um, that's not a fun afternoon, but it's got to get done. So here's the thing. I have these fantasies about living on an acreage and like possibly throwing in a few animals here, there. And so I've been thinking about this, even hearing more of your story of how you came to be on a farm. And this morning I walked downstairs and uh, my husband is up and we both like to get up and like have our coffee and our quiet time. And I was like, you know, this would be the time when I would have to be like, what animals do I need to feed? What do I, and I was like, you know what? We are going to squash that, <laughs> that uh, pretend vision. And so I just have huge respect for anybody who is caring, farm life and caring for animals because that, that work does not stop. And we're going to dive into that more even as we get to your book because that was such a great, great part of your book. But tell me more about how, how did you guys get to be on a farm? Yeah. So it was totally not on purpose. (laughs) Um, We lived in a neighborhood uh, that um, I don't know if in Canada, they have something called HOAs. Do you guys have this homeowners associations? They might, but I'm not, I'm not familiar. Yeah. Okay. So basically homeowners associations, you either love them or you hate them here in the United States. Most people I would say hate them um, because it's just a lot of rules and regulations. And my husband has an electrical con- company. He's an electrical contractor. And so he has a lot of big equipment that he uses. And uh, turns out our homeowners association just wasn't cool with all that equipment being there, you know, for one or two nights or whatever. And so we started looking for um, some new, a new place to live that, you know, we wouldn't have those types of rules. And long story short, um, after a lot of closed doors, uh, we found this very random uh, foreclosed farm. Uh, I really believe, I don't, I mean, I know it was a gift from God. He had a purpose that he wanted to do through us out here. And so, yeah, I went through the whole process of moving our girls out from the suburbs to the country. And uh, they are as country as can be now, Jacqueline, like, what? That's awesome. (laughs) Well, I feel like I love that part of your story, how it started off really as a problem. And I'm just yeah. imagining you being at home and like whether I think I think what we would consider the HOA, it would be like um, something like Strata where 
Um, there are those rules and regulations in certain neighborhoods. And I just imagine a phone call, an email or something that's like, ugh, again, like this problem. And when sometimes when we're faced with a problem, that's all it is. It just feels so discouraging. But I love how that problem was the thing that actually led you to this place you never would have just up and chosen on your own. So that's a really cool part of that story. That's a good point. I've never thought about it that way. Um, it definitely was a problem. Like uh, people were standing outside of our house taking pictures of the equipment and sending all kinds of hateful messages. So <laughs> well, I, I always think that because I do think sometimes that's really the only way God moves us. You know, yeah. like we just get in these places where we're comfortable. And often I feel that way. I'm like, I'm just, I appreciate the uncomfortable places in my life because I'm like, okay, God, I know, I know without this on my own, I'm just way too, like, I'm way too lazy. I'm way too like satisfied in them, in these places until something happens where, you know, I think as we continue to walk in step with him later on down the line, we can see, oh, that was, you know, like it's, it's kind of in the hindsight that we get to see those things. Yeah, very true. Good point. Now, I want to hear more as well about how you even started writing and speaking. Because again, that's not something that some people their whole lives are like, this is what I'm doing. But for others, it's like, oh, this was a shift or, or a pivot or something. So how did you get started writing and speaking? Hmm. Uh, very much how I started becoming a farm girl. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it definitely was not on purpose. So um, for those of you that are not familiar uh, with my story, I got pregnant at a very young age. Um, I was 19 and um, went through a really hard experience at the church that I was at at the time. I think um, the church has come a long ways in the last uh, 20 years, but the time that um, I was growing up in the church, it was a very legalistic time. And um, I definitely was made an example of in a not so great way and just experienced a lot of hurt. So um, my husband and I did get married uh, and God has been very gracious through our story. It's been a hard story. Uh, all marriages are hard, but especially those that start off um, in a really rocky place uh, can rock for a long time and ours did. And uh, anyways, I actually found myself using um, writing as just kind of therapy, like it became a place where, you know, I wrote down the things that I really wished that I could say to people um, that I would never actually say, you know, we don't need to say everything that comes into our mind um, and just really found it that way. And then when blogging started, you know, gosh, 17, 18 years ago, um, I started blogging and just made some friends that way. And then um, long story short, a friend of mine uh, had told me about an opportunity to volunteer at Proverbs 31 Ministries. I'd never heard of the ministry, even though it was right here in my hometown. Didn't know who Lisa Turkers was, didn't really care. Like, <laughs> I was like, okay, whatever. And uh, I went there and I realized very quickly, um, I mean, this was before Proverbs is what it is today. I mean, it was a very small mom and pop operation, um, just a handful of people in there running things. But um, I realized that these women were not perfect. 
perfect and they had not lived perfect lives and God was using them. And I wondered just maybe would God ever use me, um, in, in just in a way to encourage somebody else. And so, yeah, kind of one thing led to another, but I definitely started my journey scrubbing toilets and answering the phones, uh, did not walk in going, well, I think I would like to write an article for you guys. Um, and it was many, many years of just, you know, behind the scenes, learning, growing, um, staying in a posture of being a servant for years before, um, I was given any opportunity for sure. Okay. I love that. And want to spend some time there for a minute. Um, because I think somebody could see, could see your book and be like, oh, well, she obviously uh, it's been so easy for her. because She's she's working with this well-known ministry. And so if you're not familiar with Proverbs 31 Ministries, it's quite a large ministry. Um, she has all these connections and all these friends where people can um, see that that part of it without going back to say, no, it really was just this place of I want to I want to be here. I'm going to serve. I'm going to be doing the most mundane, the, the scrubbing of the toilets. Um, and then you said this thing too, that I thought was so great where you just said, um, what if God could use me in this way? Like what if, and I think that's such a beautiful thing that God will bring us these thoughts sometimes that may take years to really come to pass, but just that he's like, yeah, like your, your story isn't, isn't done here or it's not, um, right. Like there's so much, redemption in those little kind of like sometimes we're like how does God speak to us or how does he you know, take us from one place to the next and I think just even having those little thoughts that's such a great insight into where you were and how you began to um, start on that writing and speaking journey there's one thing that you write about in the book that I really loved and and related to where you just talked about this idea of um, continuing per to pursue this writing and speaking dream and going to this conference called She Speaks um, and not having the funds. And can you unpack that um, that part of the book for me? Because I think that's something that maybe isn't talked about enough where people are pursuing something God's put in their heart, a dream or something. And sometimes others can um, speak negatively about it. And I think as your book really unpacks this life of Mo Noah, I think he probably experienced his fair share of that as well. So can you unpack that for us? Absolutely. So, uh, before I, you know, started volunteering at Proverbs, um, I had been connected with a woman who, uh, was also a speaker and she was wanting to start like a speaker team. And, uh, she actually reached out to me and she said, um, Hey, I would love for you to actually think about being a part of this, even though I had never spoken or anything. I think she just saw potential in me, which we all need somebody to see potential in us. Um, and so anyways, I, she said, but you got to have some type of formal training. <laughs> So, um, you know, obviously because of the city that I live in and things like that, um, and it was kind of all colliding at the same time with the volunteering and the conference. And so, um, I realized that this conference was expensive. I mean, it's a, it's not, I mean, it is, it's a very affordable right now, just a little plug. Uh, because it's all virtual right now. So you guys, I don't know how long it's going to be virtual. So if you are thinking at all about speaking or writing, you need to go register now because it'll never be uh, this affordable. 
But anyways, you know, as a, a very young mom with three small kids at home, uh, I just didn't have the funds. And so one of the things they talked about um, through the ministry was raising money to go to this conference. And it would be very similar to raising money to go on a mission trip or things like that. Like it's an investment into your, your calling, your assignment from God. And um, unfortunately, I had um, some people in my circle that were just really um, what I call in the book flooded. Uh, they were naysayers and they're the people that look at you and they're like, I'm sorry, what you're going to do? What with your life? Like, why would why would you ever think about that? Um, and just really negative people that we can all have. Um, and so I was I write in the book about, you know, a dinner one night where we were sitting there and um, they just really like laid into me. They had seen this blog post that I had written about raising money. And um, it wasn't like, like, I wasn't like begging people for money. I was just like, Hey, if you think that there's anything to this, like, I'd love for you to be part of this with me. And I had so many people jump in and say, yes. Um, but they were very forceful that night. And they, you know, they were like, you really should take that post down. That's really so not good that you would ask people for money in that way. And I would never give you money for that. And, you know, it was just, it was awful, Jacqueline. Like it was just awful. Um, and so I remember I went home that night and just cried. And my husband was very good about, you know, like, don't listen to them. Don't let them tell you anything. Um, and so, yeah, I had to, I had to push through that. And, you know, I think we can all think of somebody in our lives who at one point or another has spoken something over us that we have to be uh, really careful to not take to heart because um, we can very quickly go in the opposite direction and experience disobedience. Well, I think it's, that's so good to bring up because um, as we step forward in those places God is calling us to, I there is um, negativity. Like there is going to be some form of resistance um, that will want, want us to either like throw in the towel because probably the thing God's calling us to isn't easy, right? Like similar to Noah, the assignment he was given uh, was massive. And so we all have these things. And then if we have people... For me, it's often what I imagine people are going to say. Like, that's usually the thing is I just play in my head what I think they'll say as I step out. But then to actually have people um, say it right to you. I was remembering a few years ago, I put on a um, just a really it was a half day women's retreat for women at my church. And I was going through some of the um, structure with one of the women who was helping me. And I was like, OK, I'm going to do these announcements and then do this. And at one point she said to me, well, you should have somebody else do that because it's otherwise it's going to be like the Jacqueline show. Mm. And it was like I had been punched in the gut. And I remember we got off the phone and, and the thing was the next day and I was bawling that night saying to my husband, am I, am I making this about me? And I knew in my heart that I wasn't. I knew I was stepping out in obedience. And he, again, he reassured me, this isn't, this isn't about you. This is you trying to serve these women. Anyways, I woke up the next morning to a text from the same person. It was the middle of the night. Um, she'd sent this text. She said, the Holy Spirit woke me up and just said, that was wrong, what you said. And basically she said, can you forgive me? Like just fully apologizing. I was like, of course I forgive you. But it's funny because I've still had those moments where I've gone back to that, you know, that negative. It's, it's that voice of accusation um, that I think really is that kind of that tone of the enemy that will come at us. So um, I love that you share about that. And again, that it can be, 
that place of we can almost veer into walking into disobedience because um, it's hard. Those things that God's given us are not easy. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I love this whole book you have laced through this book. Um, one of the one of really the biggest acts of obedience we see throughout the Bible, which is the story of Noah. And um, what was it that drew you to begin to write this book and this story of Noah? Mm. So after my second book was released, um, I wrote about, I kind of have a rhythm as a Bible teacher where um, I take my sin struggles <laughs> um, through the lens of scripture and uh, try to find someone who can teach me um, what it's really like to overcome that struggle. And, you know, Noah is, um, in fact, I was just reading in Hebrews 11 this morning, I was reading that, that whole chapter again, you know, the, the, the hall of fame of faith. And, um, Noah was just somebody who's always really inspired me, but Jacqueline, something really interesting. Uh, I tried to actually write on Noah about seven years ago. It was one of my first book ideas. It wasn't this book idea. It was a different concept and had pitched it to several publishers. And they all just said, no, that they just, you know, didn't feel like it was good timing. It wasn't the right message. And, I'm really grateful now because uh, I look back and I see um, just how timely this message is right now. So when my uh, my second book was released, my mom had gone through a really um, traumatic season. She was diagnosed with um, a brain tumor and was given six months to live. And she was only 62. And so it was just a really hard, hard season. And um, I dropped everything and really just took care of her those six months. And um, also in the midst of those six months, my brother, uh, had tried to commit suicide several times. And it was just, it was when I say it was one of the hardest times of my life, I mean that. Um, and so anyways, I felt like the end of that season. And as that, the second book was released, that kind of my next message would be on grief and loss. And if anyone in the scriptures can teach us about grief and loss, um, it definitely would be Noah. Um, but what I did not know is that, while I had thought I had walked through the hardest season of my life at that point, um, just a few weeks after I would sign the contract to write the book flooded, uh, that would actually begin the hardest season of my life because, um, just a couple weeks later, my brother tragically did commit suicide and, uh, then got home. And a couple weeks later, um, he lived in Seattle, Washington. We live in Charlotte, North Carolina. So it was a, it was a long ordeal. Um, got home and um, our horse tragically died one day. And then uh, we also had an exchange student living with us and it was just a really hard, messy season. And then boom, uh, a pandemic hit the world and life as we knew it was completely flipped upside down. And there were a dozen other really, you know, just personal hard things that we walked through that I don't share publicly. Um, but when I say that that was the hardest season of my life, um, I can confirm that I'm kind of holding my breath. Maybe I shouldn't say that anymore. Um, but it was just hard after hard after hard. And so, um, I wrote these, these words in this book through the hardest season and, um, the message definitely evolved and changed, um, as I experienced those hard things. Um, but I'm really grateful now to see kind of the end result of what God did through that message. Um, were there times where you felt like, I would rather not write a book right now. Like, I'd rather just, do you know what I mean? Like you've, like you said, you've signed this contract 
and it's it's a work obligation like it's kind of that i think some people don't always view the um, authors as having this job right like they're they're they sign a contract they're committed to this book so how was that like you'd pitched a book really in one season and now you're writing it in this other season how was that process for you well, I definitely went to my contract to see if I could get out of it. Okay. Wow. <laughs> uh, that is just the truth right there. And uh, there was no getting out of it. It is a legal document. And so, I mean, it would have been a very, it would have been a very bad decision for me to do that. Um, but yeah, I definitely had that moment where I was like, okay, this is just too much. Um, but you know, I look back now and I'm so thankful that I didn't have a way out because sometimes, um, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but here in the United States, when somebody dies, you get three days off of work and that's it. And, um, you're kind of expected just to jump back into life and reality. And, uh, you can deal with your grief on your own time. Otherwise, you know, whatever. And so I really did see that after my mom died, I kind of pushed that grief down because I had responsibilities and I had to get back out on the road speaking and traveling and um, making up for six months of, you know, not being out there. And so this season of being at home with COVID, everything shut down uh, and having to write this message, um, it forced me to sit with my feelings and it forced me to sit with my grief. And I had to do online counseling because I was a hot mess and I needed to, you know, sort through what was what and what was God and what was not God. And so um, I kind of feel like it saved me in the long run, you know, thousands of dollars in therapy um, because I did have to really um, push through my grief and push through my emotions and uh, write, write the book and get it turned in on time. Um, I think what you said there is so um, powerful in that we um, we're not really given a lot of time or really permission to, um, to face our grief. And mm -hmm. so like you were saying before with your mom, when you had to, like, you've already spent all this time with her and walking through her end of life and then having to kind of shift gears and be like, oh, now I have to, like you said, make up for this time um, and hit the road. And how has this past season, has that helped you even process through more of your mom's death? Like, cause I assume as you are sitting in that grief place with your brother that, um, so has that helped? I'm just thinking of the person who is also sitting in that place of grief and having other things kind of pop up. Yeah. So definitely the, the thing that I, I realized when, um, uh, my mom passed away was that, um, I was wrestling with a lot of doubt in my soul. I didn't know how to really call it that. Um, but you know, I had believed big things for her and I had declared that God was going to heal her and, um, you know, had all the prayer warriors, all the anointing oil, all the things that you can do, you know, um, and really just experienced that disappointment of, you know, God saying, that's not the answer that I have for this. And, you know, there are things on this side of eternity that will never make sense to the human mind. And my brother uh, is also one of those things in my head that, you know, I can try all that I want to try to make sense of this and, you know, grieve it and, and everything. But the reality is I had to land in a place where I just realized this is never going to make sense to me. 
And so through that acceptance of that, instead of trying to like find a reason and a solution and um, resolve, I think would be the word um, with my grief, um, I just let the grief come and it, and it comes in waves, you know, Jacqueline, I don't know if you've ever lost someone close to you, but like mother's day was not hard for me because that's just not a day. Like you're kind of prepared for that. Like, you know, it's coming. Um, I have found that the hardest days of grief are the ones that just kind of pop up out of nowhere. So, um, one of the things that like, I just experienced just last week, um, was uh, my middle daughter is getting ready to graduate from high school. And I had this moment where I remembered that she had this time capsule that we did when she was in kindergarten. And I know that my mom has a letter in that box. And I had this moment where I was like, what's that going to be like to read that letter from her, you know, all these years later. Um, so grief is just one of those things where you gotta, you can't put grief on a calendar date. Like you don't get to box your grief into a day and say, I'm just going to deal with it on this day. Like you have to deal with it when it comes. And if you do, then you'll be able to move from this hard thing to the next hard thing to the next hard thing. Otherwise you're going to just keep carrying it from season to season to season and never experience any kind of like rest for your soul. I don't want to say resolve because you don't get that, but you do get a place of rest when you allow God to, to really work through it. So very practically speaking, when something comes to the surface, is there something you've learned to do or give yourself permission to kind of experience that grief? Like what have you kind of learned to do in that? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, as a professional, I can't just be in the middle of a podcast and go, I'm sorry, let me press pause. I need to deal with my grief for a second. Um, so, you know, there are times where you do have to push through just like, you know, speaking engagements, like after my mom died, like I had a commitment, I had contracts, I had to push through. Um, so there are times where you do have to, you know, I don't want to just say like, like just push through it. Um, but you say, okay, I'm recognizing this feeling. And later when I have the capacity to sit with this, I'm going to sit with it and let it, it come to surface. And so um, I'm a huge journaler. I believe in journaling so much. In fact, I've instructed my girls when I die, all those journals behind me, they get burned. Nobody is to read these journals. <laughs> um, and so i just write it out. I just process, you know, what I'm feeling and I write like nobody's ever going to read it. I hope nobody ever reads my journals. Um, but that's something that's very helpful to me. Um, another thing that has been really practically helpful to me and I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want anyone to take it the wrong way. Um, so sometimes one of our first reactions when we're feeling sad or just in a bad place is to text someone and ask them to pray for us, right? And absolutely, we need people to pray for us and lift us up. But my question became for myself in that season, have I prayed for myself before I'm asking someone else to pray for me? Um, because if the answer to that is no, then I need to get on my knees and I need to wrestle this out with God. And Jacqueline, I have found that 99% of the times when I bring my battle to Jesus and we battle it out together in prayer, I find that place of rest in my soul. And I don't, I don't want to say I don't have to call my friends and ask them to pray, but I feel like I have that strength to do it right now. When my mom was dying hundred percent, I was like, y'all, Every day we're praying for miracles here. Like this is what we're doing. And they were all on board for that a hundred percent. But personally, like we have to 
own our part. And I talk about that a lot in Flooded that, you know, like we have to own our part of our faith. We can't expect others to carry it for us. Yeah. I love that. I have this cheesy line to help me with those tempting moments. I want to text, um, but whatever, which is go to the throne before you go to the phone. And I think you're right. When we, when we get really honest with God and we, just create that space. Like we close the door and we're on our knees or we're driving. It's one of my favorite places, just being really honest. And I do think you're right in terms of the rest for our souls that, um, you write about this great, you have this great line, um, page 121, where you're talking about a drive and you say, my circumstances didn't change during that drive, but my soul did. And that's where real change begins. And I want to talk about that just for a minute. Um, But I think that's really what you're talking about here is that often it's not that our circumstances change, but that God really changes us. He transforms us. And so um, tell me about that drive where you'd had a bad day because I think, you know, everybody can relate to that. And experiencing that bad day and just kind of what you chose to do in that moment. Well, I don't know that Tim McGraw would be considered the godliest thing that you could do in a moment like that. Um, But I'm a huge Tim McGraw fan and I just, his songs just do it for me. So sometimes when I'm having just a really hard day, I honestly, I just, we have tons of country roads out here. I just get on the road. Now I don't right now because we have a gas shortage. So there's no driving um, super far around here right now. Um, But during the normal season, um, that's kind of my go-to. Like I just need to get in the car and I just need to like, just drive. And I put the windows down and I blare the music for a little while. But then I do find myself, you know, having a moment where the music goes off and it's just me and God. And we're just, you know, processing and talking it through. And I think, you know, I wish that I wish those drives, like sometimes when things get really intense in my home, because I have three, you know, young adult daughters, teenagers, whatever. Um, and (laughs) it can get really intense in our house sometimes. And this doesn't feel like the best place sometimes to battle it out. And so, um, everyone has a place where you can go to kind of battle it out and just clear your head. And yeah, I have found that after those drives and after that time, um, things look just a little bit clearer, not like I come back and it's like, like, oh, I've had this epiphany. I know exactly what we're supposed to do. Um, but I think that's what it looks like to stay in process with God is that he doesn't show us the whole picture, just like Noah. I mean, Noah had very specific instructions. He knew um, what he was assigned to do, but he really did not know how it was all going to flesh out. And uh, that's what faith is. It means that we keep going and we keep taking that next step until we see the fulfillment of God's promises in our life. That's so good. I can, I can relate having three girls. Um, <laughs> mine are younger, so it's still intense. It's a different kind of intensity. And I often am out. I go out for these walks or jogs out in we have a lot of wooded areas in our, house, or our neighborhood. Um, and same thing where I'm like, I'm... I'm battling it out and I'm always thankful for the times where there's no one around where I can really like just be like, God, like this is this is how I'm feeling. And sometimes I feel like through throughout a jog or a walk, I'm like, if this if this looks like a text, a text message, I'd be using like every emoji at this point. Like I'm like, I'm praising, I'm angry, I'm like all the things. 
we're working it out together. Um, I so have enjoyed reading your book, Flooded. And I think one of the things I've loved is just the way you've brought to life the humanness of Noah and um, all that he went through. It's easy for us to just think about it in the Sunday school lesson uh, of Noah built a big boat and yep, there was some water. Now here's a rainbow, bada bing, bada boom, right? It's done. Whereas it's like, no, what you talk about the grief of, you know, leaving all of these people behind that, you know, for better or worse, he had lived his life with. And you talk about the, like, the work. I'm just imagining eight people having to spread out and f- constantly be feeding, scooping poop. Like, what would it have smelled like in there? Um, how dark it would have been. So you do such a great job of just really painting that picture of um, so much of that process and how um, I think anytime we can look at people in the Bible as humans going through that same process, it does really help build our faith. Um, For you, what was maybe one of the most surprising things of really diving into studying Noah um, and in this, this book and this process? Yeah. So one of the things that was definitely a aha moment for me when I had so many, it's hard to pick one was when I realized when I was studying the text that we never actually see Noah have conversations with God. So unlike um, my other book on Rachel and Leah, there was a lot of conversations between the two of them and that we could study their prayers and the words that they said and things like that. Of course, it's all from the author's perspective, but um, there are no words to study from Noah until the very ending of the biblical account of Noah uh, um, in Genesis chapter nine. And so it was interesting for me when I saw this pattern, God commanded Noah obeyed, God commanded Noah obeyed, God commanded Noah obeyed. And that's really how I got to the point of understanding that Noah was a man who made decisions. And um, that's where I pulled out the five decisions that I unpack in the book was they're not based on his words. They're not based on a dialogue. Um, They're based on, this is what God said, and this is what Noah did. And so I was encouraged in my own walk, you know, how, like, would I be, would it be that easy for me? Like, would, would God just say, go do this? And I would just go do it. You know, the answer is no, because I sit here today as a woman full of disobedience. I mean, I could, you know, ramble a dozen things just in the last month that I know God said, don't say that, don't do that. Don't reply that way, you know, and I didn't do it because we're human. We're, we're fleshly. And, you know, you talked a little bit about the human side of Noah. And so we do, we see this heroic side, right? The first few chapters of his account. And then we get to the end and it's like, oh my goodness, this man is a hot mess. Right. And so we see, you know, the humanity side of Noah really come through at the end. And so, um, we do not have to be heroes as humans. And that's what, that's what Noah teaches us is that it is okay to be human. It is okay to fall short. It is okay um, to not get it all right every single time. But ultimately the decision is ours. Will we obey or will we just keep going on and plugging our ears and acting like we didn't hear what God said? Um, Well, as we wrap up, the last thing um, I would want to ask you is just what would you say to the woman who just feels like she's in a place of doubt or she's in a place of discouragement or in a place of this feels like the hardest thing I've walked through. What would you say to that woman? 
It's a good question. Um, so one of the, the prayers that I have in the book has been something that has really helped me through um, my seasons of doubt. Because a lot of times when we read God's promises, we start to think that they're for everybody else but us. And so in the book, I do talk about um, the differences between the promises that are for us and the ones that are not for us. That's really important to hold on to when we're in the midst of a really hard season. Um, we can't claim promises that God never gave us, but there are thousands of promises that God did give us that we, I mean, not thousands, hundreds, sorry. I like to exaggerate things in the Bible. Like it was so amazing. Um, there's tons. Okay. Tons of promises. So um, the prayer that I have continued to pray this last year when I study God's promises and asking them if they're for me um, is God, if I have it wrong, show me the right way. But God, if I have it right, help me to stand still until this promise is fulfilled. And that one prayer has changed everything inside of my soul. And it's helped me um, to know when I've had it wrong. And it's helped me to know when it's time just to stand still and to stand firm. Um, and so in seasons of, you know, really hard things, um, we do have to bring that through the filter of God's word and uh, ask him to show us his promise that he's given us for that situation. And he is so faithful to do that. Like he wants us to believe him. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to get to that place. Oh, so good. Well, Nikki, thank you so much for um, sharing your story with us today on Ready to Thrive and through this beautiful book. One of my favorite things of the book actually is the cover. I always like a cover where I can, like, I feel like it just feel, it feels nice. It's shiny and beautiful. Um, where can people get your book and where can people connect with you? Yeah. So the easiest place to get the book is going to be on Amazon. Um, and I know you guys have Amazon in Canada yep. too, so that should be the safest place. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can find me anywhere on social media at Nikki Cozier's. I'm pretty easy to find. So you can just look me up and I'll be there. <laughs> and also they can get to see your animals and check out more of what you're doing with the Fixer Upper Farm, which is always fun. Um, Fun just to see, again, if I'm not going to have the animals and, and living that life, I'm just going to live it vicariously through you because then I get to sit my co coffee without scooping poop. So yeah. best of no, both worlds. You can watch me clean the chicken coop this afternoon. There you go. Well, I trust this episode has helped you move one step closer to thriving. Can I just say thank you for listening? This space has been incredibly encouraging for me this past year. And as I am being deeply encouraged by these conversations, I trust you are as well. And I'm not going to ask you to rate the show or subscribe, but I am going to ask if while you were listening today, a friend popped into your mind and you thought, hmm, I think they could use this encouragement. Can I ask you to share this episode with them, with one person? When I listen to podcasts on my phone, there are three little dots at the bottom right and I click there to share. Also, can I say sometimes I don't share with others as I'm worried about what they'll think of me if they think I'm bugging them by sharing something, but when someone shares something with me, I am never bothered. Often it is the exact thing I needed to hear. So if someone popped into your mind, click those three little dots and share this encouraging conversation with them. And thank you for listening to Ready to Thrive.